Good to see you all this morning. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Take your Bible and open it to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 16. If you're in the cafe, grab your Bible, open up as well. We love you guys. Thank you for worshiping along with us. 2 Samuel chapter 16, a message today entitled Sticks and Stones. Uh, You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words will never harm me. Words will never hurt me. How many of you believe that? It's, it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Uh, words can hurt. Words can sting. Uh, sticks and stones may harm you, but those are wounds that will heal with some time. But sometimes the harm that words do will linger for a long, long time. I was, uh, as most of you know, in surgery last year, uh, almost a year, uh, for c- colon cancer. Uh, the day I was in surgery, there was a, a large group of family and friends and church family gathered, and, and many of you were there. It means more than you'll ever know that you were there. Um, my surgery was long, and of course, I was sleeping through it, and you all were there, and thank you for being there. And, uh, uh, family, my mama was there, my wife, and all those who loved me, and you know, church family, like I said, Matt Betts was there. All right, so... Todd Aller came out. Todd was one of the anesthesiologists working in, with my case. Todd came out sometime in the middle of the surgery to give a report about the, you know, the, the, you know, how the surgery was going. So Todd made the statement, surgery's going really, really smoothly because Pastor Tim doesn't have much fat. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. Again, I'm sleeping, but, but it's going pretty well. It's going pretty smoothly because Pastor Tim doesn't have much fat. To which Matt Betts replies, you don't have much muscle either. <laughs> Okay, I'm under anesthesia. You know, I mean, I, I mean, he said that in front of my mama. Yeah, I got cancer, you know, and, and I, I am somewhere back there suffering. And Matt Betts is out there going, he ain't got much muscle either. He ain't got much, you know, he, he's, he's insulting my masculinity, my muscularity, my manhood right in front of my mama. You, you understand that? Now, um, would he have said that to my face? Would he have said that? Like if I wasn't under anesthesia? Yeah, y'all know him. Yeah, he absolutely would. He absolutely would. As a matter of fact, who do you think told me that story? Yeah. He couldn't wait. Like he cracks himself up. Like, you know, here I am, you know, in a diaper coming out of colon surgery. Matt's like, you won't believe what I said. You know, Todd said, you know, he tells the whole thing. He tells it with such pride. Okay, so explain that one. He's really proud of that. And this morning, you know, he'll light up like a Christmas tree just remembering his moment of glory insulting me. Now, does that bother me? Did that hurt my feelings? Not at all. Not at all. I know Matt. I know Matt loves me. I know that making jokes in poor taste at inappropriate moments is his love language. It's, it's his spiritual gift. I, I know this about Matt Betts. However, not every insult will come to you wrapped in love. You know that? Not every insult comes wrapped in love. And sometimes uh, in my life, things bother me more than I want to let them bother me. Words sometimes bother me more than I want them to bother me. You know, a little girl coming out of church one Sunday. It was her first time. And uh, she said, I saw you on the stage. You know, little girl, I saw you on the stage. So I bent down and I said, that's because I'm the pastor. She said, yeah, when you talk, it lasts forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, get the kid out of here. Yeah. <laughs> didn't bother me much. 
uh, one of our church ladies a while back was in the hospital when I was on vacation, and I hated that. I hated that. If you know me at all, you know that how I just, uh, I, those things tear me up. But I went on vacation with my family. The day I got back from vacation, I went straight to her bedside. I mean, I, I, I came in and went straight to her bedside. And I walked in the door, and she said, well, here's the pastor who'd rather lay on the beach than tend to his flock. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been thinking about you too, you, you, you know? Like I say, sometimes it's easier to take and easier to get over than other times. But but some of you know the pain that comes with words. Sometimes you can shake it off. Sometimes you can forget about it. But sometimes the blade will stay in your gut for years and years and years. What do you do? How do you endure criticism, insults? How do you get past the words that people say without letting those words crush you? That's the lesson today from 2 Samuel chapter 16. This is a little bitty episode from the life of King David. But I I love this story. I've never preached this story, but I've always wanted to. And today is the day. It's something very real about this story for me. And I just want to share it with you. 2 Samuel chapter 16 verse 5. As King David came to Bahirim, a, a man came out of the village cursing him. It was Shammai, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine. You're a murderer. A man of blood is what he calls him. You're a man of blood. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, demanded? Let me go over and cut off his head. No. King David said, who asked your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? That's fascinating. Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road. And Shammai kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. The king and all who were with him grew weary, exhausted along the way. So they rested when they reached the Jordan River. When they got there, they were exhausted. Criticism is exhausting. Can I get an amen? It is exhausting. Now, I, I want you to get the scene. I, I want you to understand the, the situation here. King David, of course, this is near the end of his life, and he is now fighting a, a war. There is a, a rebellion in the kingdom, and there is one who is trying to seize David's throne. Who is it? It's Absalom. It's a man named Absalom. Who is Absalom? It's David's own son. 
So at this horrible point in David's life, the the rebel, the one who would kill David, the one who would take David's throne is David's own son, Absalom. And so David and his men have literally fled Jerusalem. They fled uh, because they're fleeing from David's own son. So, So this is probably the lowest point, maybe one of the lowest points in David's entire life. When you read all of those Psalms about the enemies that are, that are pursuing David, understand at one of those points, the enemy was his son. So David is fleeing. It is a horrible, horrible day, uh, lowest point of his life. And, and that is when he encounters a man named Shammai. Now, Shammai, we're told, is a descendant of King Saul. Now, who is King Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel, and and Saul was the king whose throne David has taken. David displaced Saul on the throne. Now, if you know the story at all, you know that there's a lot of justification in that. Saul turned out to be a wicked man who himself tried to kill David. On multiple multiple occasions, uh, David had opportunities to kill Saul and never would. David didn't believe that you lifted a finger toward the the man that God had put in in leadership. So David never did. But, But Saul frequently tried to kill David. In the end, of course, Saul died and David took his throne. But here is one of these leftover relatives of Saul who's angry. Shammai blames David for everything that's gone wrong in his family, everything that's gone wrong in the lineage of Saul. Shammai now blames David. And for some reason, this is the day that he chooses to show up and confront David. But how does he do it? Is this a brave confrontation? No, mostly Shammai stands back at a safe distance, which would be wise, because David is surrounded by bodyguards. David travels with these goons that are called his mighty men. And these guys are beasts. These are awesome men of war. And David travels now with these mighty men. There is no way that Shammai can actually get to David to hurt him. So he just stands back and throws rocks, you know, kind of like a, you know, like a sixth grader you know, fourth grader. He stands back and he just throws rocks. And apparently there are a lot of rocks to throw. He just keeps on throwing rocks and then he starts throwing dust like a chimpanzee. You understand? Throwing dust and throwing rocks and he's just yelling at David. And what is he shouting? You man of blood, you're worthless. You worthless man of blood. It's about time it all comes back to you because what's happening to you is exactly what you deserve. And he shouts and he screams and he throws rocks and he throws dust. Understand, the rocks and the dust, they can't hurt David. They can't even get to David. I mean, David is surrounded by goons. Did I mention that? But there is no protection. There is no way that David can escape the words, man of blood. You deserve this. You're worthless. You see, the sticks and stones will really never hurt David. But the words, the words. It's it's amazing. Let's stop right here for one lesson. I would say that criticism often comes when you want it least from the one least qualified to give it. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, often comes when you want it least. Understand, it's David's lowest point 
Lowest point in his life, he is, he is completely, completely just emotionally devastated at this moment. His son is trying to kill him. And it's at that very moment when the critic shows up. It's that very moment. And, and, and I feel like in life it's always that way. I can't explain it. Now, part of my explanation would be the enemy, the devil, who always wants to discourage and bring us down. And he will sometimes work through people to do that. You've heard me say when the devil wants to destroy you, he doesn't send a shark to eat you in one bite. He just sends a thousand minnows, you know, and they just nibble you to death. And, and this is a part of that. When you're already down, when you're already defeated, when you're already devastated, that is exactly when somebody's going to show up and start shooting off their mouth. And, and it's horrible. It's devastating, but it's just a fact of life. Criticism often comes when you want at least. I mean, somebody's always going to show up to kick you when you're down. I don't know why it's that way. It just seems always to be that way. And the person that's going to criticize you is going to be like the least person ever qualified to offer you criticism. You know, in other words, it's like the woman who never had any children of her own. She can tell you all about how to raise yours. Have you noticed that? It's just crazy. Or, or like the woman whose you know, kids turned out to be like axe murderers. She'll have all kinds of advice for you. And you just want to go, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. But you understand, this is how criticism comes. It's the little girl who says, when you talk, it lasts forever. <laughs> Not bitter. <laughs> you understand? At, 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 at the moment you want at least, from the person least qualified to give it, and, and, and yet it, it comes. It comes. And that's why everybody needs a friend like a Abishai. Look at verse 9. I love this. Why should this dead dog, that he calls Shammai now a dead dog. That's pretty awesome. Well, what's, what's lower than a dead dog? A, a dead dog. What's a dead dog do? Nothing. It just lays there and stinks. And that's what he says. This guy, this guy, he's just a pile of stink. All he is, he's just, a, he's, just a, he's just a stench in our nose. Why should he be allowed to criticize you, David? Let me just go over there and take his head off. Yeah. Now, I am not advocating decapitation as a means of, you know, conflict resolution here. But I just want to say this now. Friends protect friends, and that's awesome. Abishai is often, you just want to hope that when somebody's running you down, you got a friend like Abishai to go, let me just take his head off, you know? Or next time Matt Betts says anything about my muscularity, will you just take his head off? You just say, let me take his head off. Yeah, let me take his head off. Yeah, understand? Friends protect friends. That, that's how that works. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's not the main point of this text, but I want you to see that. Because we all need friends like that. Again, I'm not advocating decapitation. I, I'm not. But, but honestly, when you're in a situation and you hear somebody running down somebody that means something to you, you got to speak up. You can't just stand there and let somebody run, run down a friend. And Abishai is that guy. He's not going to let this dead dog just stand up there, throw rocks at the king. We all need friends like that. You've heard the saying, I got your back. This is the very definition of got your back. You understand? When somebody's trying to stab your friend in the back, you're supposed to have their back. You see what I'm saying? And Abishai is that friend. He is that guy. He, he's actually David's nephew. And he's one of David's bravest and most amazing mighty men. He's one of these giant warriors that follows David. And he could have taken his head off. It would have been any problem for Abishai. So, honestly, you need a friend like that. You need to be a friend like that. And it's amazing. But the most amazing thing here is David says no. 
Abiasai says, can I just go over there and shut him up? And David says, no. And this is the most puzzling part of this text. Verse 10, no, the king said. Who asked your opinion? What if the Lord has told him to curse me? Then who are you to stop it? What? David says, what if the Lord has told him to curse me? Then you're not... You're not in the place to stop it. What? As one of these stones hit David in the head? What if the Lord has told him to curse? Would the Lord tell somebody to curse David? Would the Lord want David to hear cursing? Because that opens up the whole possibility. Does the Lord want me and you to hear cursing? I mean, does the Lord want people to come up and and criticize us? Do we need to be insulted sometime? Go back. What was it that Shammai was shouting at David? Murder. You're a man of blood. That's literally what he says. You're a man of blood. He calls him a hell fiend. You're you're a man of blood. Man of blood. It sounds a lot like what the prophet Nathan had said to David a a while back. Do you remember that? When he said, David, you're a man of blood. That was the prophet that God sent to David. And and because you're a man of blood, because you have introduced the sword. Remember what David did? He had, he he killed a man. And, And not in battle, he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He murdered him. That's just the truth. And because you have brought the sword into this house, into your household, this sword will never leave. You're a man of blood, and now that's going to play out in your family. I mean, that, that was the curse that came with this sin. I mean, David's been under that curse since Nathan. So the really odd thing is Shammai standing back throwing rocks and dust. I mean, it's just just... just you know, really objectionable human being up there shouting at David. The the problem is there's a lot of truth in what he says. David is a man of blood. David was the father who learned to use the sword, and now he's got a son who uses the sword against the father, and David has to live with that. Understand? There is actually some, some truth here. You and I need to hear the truth in our lives. And lots of times the truth hurts. And because the truth hurts sometimes, those who love us, our friends, they won't tell us the truth. You know what I mean? Sometimes your mama, you know, we'll use her for an example. You know, she thinks you're awesome. We don't even tell her that you're not, you know, because nobody wants to mess with your mama. But, but, but your mama and, and your wife and, and, and your kids, I mean, the people who love you, love you. And for the most part, those who love us, they learn to tolerate our flaws and, and they turn to just sort of, they tend to live with this. And, and that means we often get in a situation where there may be truth that we really need to hear that nobody wants to speak. So let me just suggest to you this really simple fact that when there is a truth that none of your friends want to tell you, God may send an enemy. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But when there is a truth that you really, really need to hear, 
God just may have to send an enemy. He may have to send somebody who is willing to tell you the truth that you need most to hear. That sounds so strange, doesn't it? It it seems like that God, if if he needed to bring a message to us, would send an angel from heaven, you know, sort of thing. But but angels in heaven are sort of rare as, as messengers from God. It turns out God uses more people in the world than he uses angels from heaven to deliver his messages. And most people in the world aren't all that angelic. And so when I need to hear the truth, when you need to hear the truth, usually it's going to come to us from a very, very imperfect person. And that's what gores us. That's what makes it very difficult for us. Because when a person starts criticizing us, our first instinct is to go, yeah, well, you're one too. You're one to talk. You're not so perfect. Isn't that exactly how we want to respond? Because we just always consider the source. And that's what we're told to do. Consider the source. Okay? If an ugly person tells you you're ugly, you don't have to listen to it because they're ugly. The problem is, what if you're ugly? What if you are ugly? What if the ugly person happens to be telling you something true? Do you get to dismiss it just because the person who delivers the message isn't necessarily a good communicator? I mean, there aren't any good communicators in the world. Have you not noticed? Nobody does this well. Nobody points out flaws well. Very few people know how to speak the truth in love. So they just speak the truth and it just comes out awful. And then you've got to hear it. And it's really, really frustrating. There aren't any good communicators. So if God needs to send a message to you, if you need to learn your flaws, and you do, I do too. I I need to have these things pointed out. I need the truth. If you're living a life in which nobody can speak the truth to you, then understand you are, of all people, going to be so miserable. You'll never be set free from your flaws. You'll never know how to be better. You'll never know how to be more like Christ. It's the truth that sets us free. And if there's a truth that you need to hear that none of your friends are ever going to tell you, then God just may have to send you an enemy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I I just say from my own experience, I'm a person who really loves to be liked. And there was a point in my life when I didn't really understand what an idol was. Pleasing others and being loved by others. I mean, it, it probably, I mean, it sounds like that's a wonderful thing, but, but it's not. It's a crippling thing when you care more about what people think than about what God thinks. So I really didn't understand how much I loved being liked until I ran into people uh, by whom I was radically unliked. You understand? So I can actually say that God blessed me with enemies. Now, I, I didn't make enemies. It's, it's not that. I'm not saying I want to live with enemies. I'm saying that just people who did not like me, who radically just did not like me. And, and, and learning how to uh, accept that truth that, that I really can't win everybody over. I can't make everybody like me. And, and I'm really not responsible to change everybody's ideas about me. You understand? There's a freedom that comes with that. Now, it's painful not to be liked, and especially painful for a person like me. I mean, I'll just nearly follow you around begging you to love me until there were people who just weren't going to love me. Understand what I'm saying? Somebody's like the last person in the world who should be saying anything to King David. I mean, who is he to talk? And how does he just get to stand back and throw rocks at the, at, at the king? 
And that's the crazy thing. He just stands back and throws rocks. I mean, that's the kind of person that we all just despise. If you've got something to say to me, come and say it to me. You don't just get to stand back far enough and just heave rocks and throw dirt, sling mud. But that's what Shammai does. That's all he does. And David says, just let him do it. Just let him do it. So it's really, really difficult when people are just throwing stones and yelling. It's hard to sort of accept that and kind of learn to distinguish the truth from the stones. Because that's the thing. The stones are flying. The dirt's flying. Not all of that is helpful at all for David. But the truth now, the the truth matters. And if somebody tells you the truth, they have blessed you. They've given you a gift even if they didn't mean to give you a gift. David recognizes that. And David recognizes that God's going to judge. God is going to be the one that's going to judge his heart. And God is going to be the one that's going to judge Shammai's heart. So David has no obligation there to try to sort that out. He doesn't try to get revenge. In other words, he just accepts the truth. It really could be that God wants me to hear this truth today. I may need the reminder that I drew the sword first. I may need to hear one more time that I am a man of blood. And I'm living with that. Maybe God wants me to hear that. But but if God doesn't want me to hear that, then at any rate, I'm still not going to turn on this man. I'm not going to start throwing rocks back. That's difficult not to throw rocks back. It's difficult just to hear the truth, even when the truth hurts, even when the truth comes from somebody so ill-qualified to speak it. It's difficult to hear it because it hurts. But learn a lesson from David. It hurts, but just keep moving. He just keeps moving. Let him continue. Just let him talk. Let him throw stones. Let him throw dust. And that's what he does. The entire journey. Have you ever had a person like this in your life? You think sooner or later, they're just going to get tired of hating me. Sooner or later, they'll just run out of rocks. But apparently the person who's looking for a rock to throw, they don't ever run out of rocks. If they want to throw dust on you, if they want to throw dirt, they don't ever run out of dirt. Shammai, at the end of this journey, he's not tired. He's energized. He's alive. Because understand, this is just what he does. This is the kind of man he is. You don't want to be this guy. Do you understand? But David, when he finally gets to where he's going... When he finally can go into the house and close the door and shut out Shammai... He's exhausted. He's exhausted. So how do you do it? When people just running you down, people criticizing, people insulting you. And I'm not talking about friends. I'm not talking about people who do it in love. I mean, sometimes we rag on each other. I mean, Matt Betts is, is, is one of my best friends. That's just how we do. And it's hard sometimes how the same thing a friend might say will sound very differently when it comes from someone that you know doesn't care for you. Sometimes the insults aren't wrapped in love. What do you do? I think you really do have to learn to submit to the truth. Don't think of yourself as a person who can't be criticized. You you will be criticized. I'm criticized too. It's just part of life. None of us is perfect, and we need to hear the truth. We need people to point out our flaws. 
Now, the problem is I often know my flaws already, and I'm, I'm paralyzed by my flaws. You know what I mean? And so I already often know my flaws, and there just seems like a world full of people who want to stand back and keep pointing them out. And that's a paralyzing kind of thing. It makes you feel like I shouldn't do anything. I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't try to do anything. I shouldn't try to pursue my dreams. I shouldn't go into what God's calling me to do. I shouldn't do any of that until I can work all this out, until I can be above criticism or beyond criticism. So we get stuck. We get stuck. We feel like if somebody's going to criticize us, then we probably shouldn't step out. But listen to me. If you let the critics keep you from stepping out, you'll never do anything. If you never speak up just because you're afraid that you'll say something wrong and somebody will criticize you, you'll never say anything. And if you become so paralyzed by your flaws that that you're never willing to step out in faith into the future God has for you, you'll never know the things God has for you. You cannot let criticism paralyze you. you. You can't let it tie you up in knots. It hurts. But keep moving. Just keep moving forward. That's the lesson from David. Listen to the truth and be willing to hear the truth, even if the truth hurts. Even if you're being reminded of, of your past, the, the parts of yourself you, you never really wanted to have to hear again. Even when people are pointing out the, the, the parts of you that you see and you know and, and you despise, if it's true, just endure it. You understand? You can't dismiss truth. Now, some people are just overly critical. I mean, some people pile it on, and they start saying stuff that's just dumb. Now, they start criticizing you for things you never even did. You understand? Those are the criticisms you just pushed aside, but you still got to listen. You got to listen to understand what's true and what's not true. In other words, you can taste it, but don't swallow it all whole. Listen and discern what part of this is true. Is there any part of this that God must want me to hear? Is, is part of this truth that, that, that God has, has sent a person to tell me? And what part of this do I need to learn from? You understand? This is what David does. You, you sort of have to sift out the truth from the rocks, and you don't get to throw the rocks back. That doesn't help. It doesn't help if David turns into Shammai and starts just giving it back to him. You understand? That's not anything. It's not that when David is silent, he's, he's gone ahead. and It's not like he's just submitting to Shammai or agreeing that it's all true just because he doesn't answer it all. You understand? It's not necessarily an act of agreement that he doesn't argue with Shammai. It's not an act of surrender. It's an act of faith. Simply knowing that God is the judge. And if there's truth in this that God wants David to hear, then David will hear the truth and he will accept the truth. Repent, change, whatever is necessary when the truth comes. But the parts that aren't true, the parts that are just thrown in, the, the rocks added to the truth, you just let them lay. It's an act of faith. It's a willingness to say, God, there's truth here, and I accept it. It's hard to hear, but help me. Make me better. Forgive me, whatever you need to say. Learn just to find that safety, that security. Learn to find that, that, that safety in God's presence. That's what David does. Man, sticks and stones, I'm going to break my bones, 
But man, sharp words, they can stay in your gut like a blade for years. Now let me say this. God may sometimes want you to hear the truth and may send an enemy to deliver it. And I, I know. Some of you heard things that were true and they were painful. And the problem is you're still hearing them today. You still hear it. It still goes on and on in your head. Okay. God may have wanted you to hear it the first time, but I think it's the devil who keeps hitting replay. You understand? You're not supposed to continue to replay this in your head for your whole life. Yeah. A person one day who was attacking me. See ya. Pastor Tim, you got PhD after your name. You know what that stands for? In your case, it stands for piled high and deep. Because that's what you do. You pile it high and deep. Yeah. That's so dumb. <laughs> and that was years ago. And I still hear that. Understand? I still hear that. Maybe God wanted me to hear some truth the first time, but y'all, if several years later I'm still replaying that, I don't think that's from the Lord. Understand? Truth sets you free. It doesn't paralyze you. It doesn't make you a slave. It, it doesn't make you a, a, afraid to speak again. You understand? You sooner or later have to just recognize that this hurts, but I'm going to keep moving. Understand? It hurts. Just keep moving. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, it would be wonderful if everyone in the world were good communicators, if, if everyone in the world were able to, to confront us in love with, with gentleness and good words. It, it would be so different, Lord, if people could sometimes tell us what they need to tell us without also slinging dirt and rocks. Lord, sticks and stones, they uh, hit us and fall, Lord, but the words, they lodge deep sometimes in our gut. And those are wounds that some of us have carried for years, Lord. The things that were said years ago, Lord, that still hurt us, Lord. Jesus, today, I pray that you would give us somehow the grace, the, the courage to move on. Lord, the truth that we need to hear, we trust you to always let us hear it. And Lord, if it is true, help us to respond to it and, and repent or change or do better, Lord, whatever we need to do, Lord. But, but sometimes, Lord, the criticisms that come, they're not always based in truth and they hardly ever are based in love. And Lord Jesus, some of us are walking wounded from the words people have spoken to us. We come to you, O oh Lord, great physician of our hearts. Will you not... Heal us? Would you, Lord, make it so that we don't continue to hit replay and hear those words over and over and over, day after day? Lord, certainly those words aren't supposed to continue to echo like that. Lord, the people in the sound of my voice today who have been paralyzed by critics, paralyzed by people or who told them that they could not or should not or would never do what you called them to do. Lord Jesus, today, I pray that you just give them the courage to, to, to accept, Lord, the, the truth as it's spoken, but then to continue moving forward. Lord, don't let us stop. Don't let us try to wait until we're somehow beyond criticism. Lord, we're not perfect. None of us is perfect. Only you, Lord Jesus, is perfect. 
The rest of us, Lord, we just have to keep moving even though we're not perfect. And even though we mess up and even though there are enemies and people who love to point out our flaws, Lord Jesus, just make it so that we can find some sort of solace in your presence. And in your presence, Lord, may we live and keep on moving. Help us today, Lord, as brothers and sisters, as friends, to speak the truth, the truth that others need to hear in love. And Lord, I pray for those in this house who just love to criticize, who just use their words, Lord, like daggers, and they stand back from 100 yards and just throw the rocks at everybody around them. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand how poisonous their words are. Lord, for the husbands and wives in this house who have sort of fallen into a habit of, of complaining and criticizing each other from morning till night, help them, Lord, to stop it. Lord Jesus, teach us how to love each other well. Help us, Lord, to speak to each other well, to protect our friends, and even, Lord, to love our enemies. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, friend to us all. Amen.